Let's ask for God's help this morning. Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. And that, Father, you would bless them to our nourishment and your glory today. In Christ's name, amen. Last week I set the stage for the prayer that follows by talking about the fear of God and why we should approach God in holy fear. And it's because He is all-powerful. And that this is the reason we can have faith to approach Him to ask hard things, unbelievable things. And the greatest and the hardest and the most unbelievable thing is that we would be strengthened with power to know and comprehend the greatness of the gospel. Um, We have boldness to go before the Father, but this does not mean we go jauntily. It doesn't mean we approach the Father as some have approached. You know, it's been interesting uh, looking back at people who have met the King and the Queen through the last century from America just the deadening down of our ability to deal with pomp, circumstance, the weight of a person, and how many people from the United States have met the king or the queen for the last 70 years, but the king before her, and have done so flippantly, refusing to follow the guidelines set forth, refusing to bow, refusing to shake, refusing to walk, refusing to wear particular things and not other things. Um, it's just been very interesting. I've looked at it this week. Lots of, lots of people from the United States have degraded the court of the queen over the last 70 years. And so we ought not to degrade the father just because we have access to him. We ought to come as he is asked in holy, humble fear. And then, from there, in that humility, to ask him to do this which is to fill us with all the knowledge of Him. And the unbelievable boldness of that request. The unbelievable nature of the fact that that's an impossible request. Think about what we're asking God to do when we follow Paul's prayer here. Strengthened with the power so that we might comprehend and know the, grit, the length, the breadth, the width, and the depth of the love of Christ. It's infinite. It's beyond knowledge. In fact, he says in other places, it surpasses knowledge. And right here in Ephesians, right in this passage, he says to know the thing that surpasses knowledge. One of the things that is striking as we go through life, and this comes in ebbs and flows, um, there are times in our Christian life where we think we understand And we know the gospel. We just get it. And why can't everybody else just get it? And what is everybody else's deal? And why can't they just know it like I know it? And this is the reason. This is why they can't just get it. They can't just know it. This is why we can't all just magically get to this level of a knowledge. It's because we are dependent at all moments as a Christian upon the power and the majesty of God at work within us. That without that, we will remain just as we were. And so this is a prayer that we need to be praying continuously for ourselves, 
continuously for the church here in Jasper, continuously for the broader church, and for the world. Now, without these sorts of prayers, and without the sort of answer to the prayer, there is no hope for the world. Paul has just finished talking through this impossible thing that happened. The Jew-Gentile nations who hated one another and were enemies have been joined together into one head, into Jesus Christ, and made into one family. And then he says, Because of this, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom all fatherhood gets his name, that you might be strengthened with all knowledge and power. The goal of uniting the family in one house is not just to have people sitting next to each other. It's not just to like try to make a, a false unity. And the world is full of all kinds of false unities. All kinds of things that claim to unite and actually do the exact opposite. Um, this sort of half came up in Sunday school this morning, but right at the end we talked about something called the ecumenical movement, uh, which was in the 60s, 70s mostly. And the ecumenical movement mostly, this is not entirely, was the Methodist church here, the Episcopal church or the Anglican church in England, and the Catholic church, and other denominations too, but it was mostly those three trying to figure out how to be united again. And it was occurring while the Catholic church was going through Vatican II, and there were all kinds of attempts to make everything work together. And they did succeed in many ways. Uh, they all sat together. They wrote books together. Uh, there was great uh, cries of unity all around. But the reality was, until drastic change happens, that unity cannot happen because they are at odds in understanding what the knowledge of God is in Jesus Christ. That full unity, which is what we're attaining to, what we're going towards, cannot happen unless we are filled with more and more and more of the gospel of Christ, the knowledge of him who once died so that we might live. And so I've thought about this in a few different ways um, and how Paul breaks it down. There are three or four different things going on that he's praying for. And the first is, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. So we have two things at work in order to make this possible. And this is two things we have to appeal to in order for our prayers to be effective. And that is we have to appeal to the fact that God is rich in glory. He is the maker of heaven and earth. We're not appealing to a weak God. We are appealing to the maker of all things the one who dwells in invisible immortality and who always was and is and is to come. We are not dealing with a God who may be able to do something. We are dealing with a God who can do all that we could ever hope or imagine or ask and far more. And this is one of the first things that we need to wrap our minds around in terms of prayer, I think, is that we are not appealing to the government for help. We're not appealing to the rich neighbor for help. 
The rich neighbor might not have the finances or the ability or the means or the desire to help. The government is full of bureaucracy and all kinds of things get tied up in the middle. And even when it comes out the other end, it's full of more bureaucracy and doesn't always help. And yet when we approach God, we tend to ask and think in ways that are limited. Not asking boldly. And yet the scriptures are full of incredibly bold prayers on behalf of the saints. Just incredibly bold things. You think of something like Abraham at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plains. God comes and visits him. And he says, we're not going to hide from you, Abraham, what we're about to do. Because we love you. We're about to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain and destroy them utterly for their wickedness. And what does Abraham do? Is it a small ask that he does? No, it's, it's incredibly bold. Lord, for the sake of 50 righteous, will you destroy the whole city? And, and when you read the account, he doesn't just say those words. He says all kinds of apologetics around it. I know this is bold of me, and I ought not to ask this. I shouldn't be doing this. It's humility. It's just what we talked about last week. There is fear and trepidation on the part of Abraham in giving the request. But it's still very bold. For the sake of 50? And the Lord says, for the sake of 50, I will not destroy it. More boldness, more fear. Forgive me, Lord, but for the sake of 45? For the sake of 45, I will not destroy it. Forty? I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Thirty? Twenty? Ten? I will not destroy it, even for the sake of ten. In all the cities of the plain and in Sodom and Gomorrah, if there are ten righteous, I will withhold the wrath that is about to come down. This is one of the most famous stories in Scripture, that God consumed Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain in fire and sulfur from the sky. And Abraham boldly approached. And God was willing to grant his request. I don't know about you, but I do not pray with that kind of boldness very often. And it's really not because I think God might not answer It's because I don't think he really wants to do anything that might show himself off in the riches of his glory and the power of his might. I doubt whether or not God actually wants to show up in my life, in my church, in my city, in a way that makes him look glorious. But we have access to the Father. And we ought to ask boldly. 
We ought to know that he is a father who loves to delight in the wishes of his children. Yesterday, I'm at, uh, what is that place called? Hendostin Falls. Uh, it's up near Ligoti. It's a cool little place. We didn't actually get to go out on the river, but we're going to go back because that looks like a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> good. It looks really cool. If you haven't, you can just drive by and see it's really neat. Um, so we're there. Rick is at the booth for the library in Shoals, and they're serving barbecue and Zach's Creamery ice cream. So uh, we get in line to get some food. And my girls are like, we want ice cream, not sandwich. Well, it's a festival day. I'm your dad. Get yourself some ice cream. Right? I, I love to answer ridiculous requests for my kids. Now, it doesn't always work. They can't always get anything they want. But they know that they can ask ridiculous questions, and sometimes they get it. And one of the big rules in our house about those sorts of requests is you can't whine. If you whine, you don't get it. Don't get it. doesn't matter if you clean up afterwards. If you whine the first time, it's over. But just think about the boldness of coming at lunchtime and requesting dessert and only dessert. It's, it's a, in our household, at least, it's kind of a foolish request. It just doesn't happen. We don't do that. And yet, I answered it. And I'm not saying I'm a great father, and you can probably condemn me for giving my kids ice cream for lunch, but that's what they had. But we should have the freedom to come boldly before our God and ask for what appear to be foolish sorts of things. Now, I'm not saying you need to be, you know, into yourself and into wanting dessert for yourself, and that's the thing you need to ask God for. But just the childlike faith to go before God with an impossible request. Something that seems improbable. We have a God who is full of rich glory and desires that all the world would know that He is full of rich glory. So let's ask Him to show it. Let's be bold with the Father. And then the second thing, the second half of that is that we may be strengthened with His Spirit. So we have, according to the riches of His glory, that He may grant us to be strengthened with the power of His Spirit. That the boldness is not undirected boldness. It's not freedom, actually, to ask for ice cream for lunch, probably. It's directed boldness. That we may be strengthened with the power of the Spirit. Now, how powerful is the Spirit? All the power that dwells in the Father dwells in the Spirit. They are equal in power and might and glory, which means there is nothing that cannot be done by the power of the Spirit. By the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. This is who we are strengthened by And who we ought to pray that we are strengthened by. We have access to the fullness of the riches of the glory of God to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit. For particular things. Particular things. So here are the things that we ought to be bold with. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
So we have the riches of the glory of God being strengthened by the power of the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Do we think of that as an impossible thing? Do we get up in the morning and think, you know what I need in order to walk in Christ today is the same spirit and power that raised Jesus from the dead. I would wager that most of us do not wake up in the morning and think, I need the spirit and the power of God for Christ to dwell in me today. If we are even being somewhat faithful, we usually, in our own spirit and our own flesh, think, I need to read the Bible today. I guess I'll do that. And so we read the Bible. I should probably pray something today, so I'll pray something. Very few of us, I think, on a regular basis, including me, think, what I need today is not a little bit of something. It is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead to dwell with me today so that I can walk in faith. Why is that a bold request? Because it's a humiliating request. It's really humbling to have to go to God after being a Christian for a day, a week, a decade, 50, 60 years, and say, unless today the Spirit helps me, I will not dwell with you today. My faith will probably fail today. I need the full power of your entire might to keep me today. Not a little bit of power. Not somebody else's power. Not fellowship with somebody else. I need to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit because of the riches of your glory so that I can dwell in faith today. We don't think like that. We don't pray like that. We don't think it's actually an impossible thing to walk by faith. It is an impossible thing to walk by faith. It's impossible. You cannot do it. That's the whole point. You will fail. You cannot attain the riches of the glory of God in your flesh, by yourself, in your strength. You will not make it. And so the most bold thing to do is humbly before the Father in fear with trembling to say, I do not have what it takes today to make it to the end in faith. If you don't empower me with the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead today, I will fail to make your glory known. The riches of your heaven that are at your fingertips, I need all of them today. Not a little bit. The whole of your power is what I need. I will not make it without it. That's a bold request. That is a nonsensical request according to our flesh. Because our flesh says, what I need to do is I've got to get up, I've got to eat breakfast, I'm going to have this, that, and the other, I've got to get the coffee made, I've got to do this, we've got to get the kids out the door, we've got to do this, we've got to make it to this, we've got a hairdressing appointment today, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this, I've got uh, baseball practice tonight, what we, what's the plan for the day, when are we, how are we getting this done, what are we going to do? No dependence. No faith. This is bold. This is 
Unlike all those who say that they have it together and can make it, I cannot. Without you and the power that raised Christ from the dead, I have no hope today. Yes, we may be able to eat three meals, and yes, the kids may not starve to death. Except, here's the deal, all of those are because of God anyway, even if we don't ask. Because He makes the rain come on the just and the unjust. And that's the same principle applied that He feeds us, whether we are wicked or pure. But all of it is a gift all the time. And we either humbly acknowledge the fact that we are totally dependent upon the power of God to make it through a day. Or we don't come humbly, boldly before the throne room of God. That's bold request. Verse 17 continues, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Bold prayer. Because it's humiliating and humble. Every one of us, because of our flesh, is wired to think that we can attain the knowledge of God if we just study enough, think enough, pray enough, do enough, that we, in our pea-brained minds, will be able to get it. One of the most helpful things that happened, and I'm not saying this continued every day since then, was when I realized in music education school and college that I could not figure out how to teach music to people. I just couldn't do it. I I I don't understand how to get down to a level below what I knew to understand how to teach fundamentals to get things. Now, I've worked really hard in the last 20 years. My kids can half play the piano now that I've been teaching them. But at 20 years old, I went, I can't do this. And simultaneously with that realization was this. I can probably teach the Bible better than I can teach the trumpet because we're all dependent, the teacher and the student, on the power of God to make us able to comprehend anything anyway. And so I have freedom as a teacher of the Scriptures because I know at the end of the day it doesn't matter if I'm the most clear, particular, awesome teacher that's ever walked the face of the planet. If the Spirit does not empower you and me, there is no attaining of knowledge for anybody. can't happen. We cannot begin to fathom without the Spirit's power the length and the breadth and the depth and the width of God's love in Christ Jesus. You cannot do it without the Spirit. And when you begin to do it without the Spirit, what happens is you end up flip-flopping the results of the fruit for some poor imitation of fruit and claim that you have figured it out. This is the social gospel. This is the last hundred years in the United States. It's flip-flopping what Christians do for proof that you know God. It's it's taking James and making it twisted so that you don't have to have knowledge of God and fruit. You just have to have something resembling fruit. It's usually not even that good. One of the things that this does is it produces programs made by Christians devoid of the gospel. 
They push these. When I was in college, there was one. I may have spoken about it before. I don't know. But it was very popular when I was in college called the Invisible Children. The Invisible Children was a a group formed by Christians in sub-Saharan Africa and like the Sudan, those sorts of places where kids are kidnapped at our kids' age. Like my kids, not even your kids, like my kids' age. Kidnapped and forced to go to war against one another, eight years old, ten years old, raped, awful stuff. This wicked, deplorable, the worst of humanity kind of things. And on their website, this is 20 years ago, we are Christians who founded this organization, and one of our standing principles is we will not proselytize the Africans. We will never tell them of the gospel. It was a principle. We will not do it. Why? Because they'd flipped it. They thought that the most important thing is the fruit. Like if we can sort of duplicate something looking like an apple, then we will have succeeded. Another way you might think of it is this. Uh, in the last few years, there's been this huge push in the United States and different uh, like uh, fast food places for, uh, what's it called, incredible meat or something like that. It's, it's vegetables that they have, like, it's, it's not a veggie burger anymore. They've, like, put beet juice in it and stuff, and it looks like real meat, and it feels like real meat, and supposedly it tastes like real meat. It's not real meat. It did not come from a cow, right? It's not from a pig. It doesn't matter if it looks and tastes and smells the same. It's not the same. Well, the fruit that comes from chunking out the knowledge of God is bad fruit, even if it looks kind of like the same thing. Because the most important thing is not that we end up producing fruit. Or, sorry, it's not that we have fruit. It's whether that fruit comes from good stock. A pagan, I've talked about this before, Bill Gates, Melinda Gates, I've spent, I don't even know, probably over a billion dollars, attempting to end malaria in Africa and have done a superb job. It's, I don't know what the percentages are, but it's way down. Malaria was the number one worldwide killer for, I don't know, time immemorial. And it is not anymore, as far as I understand it, because of Bill Gates. Well, Bill Gates doesn't believe in God. He's not a Christian and does not walk by faith. He's not filled with the knowledge that surpasses all understanding. Before everything is this prayer. I need this power of the Spirit to dwell so that I have faith, but I also need to be filled with all the fullness of the knowledge that surpasses knowledge. I need help to get the gospel. We all think we get it. I think I get it. You think you get it. Without the Spirit's help, we do not get it. Without God and the riches of His glory, we don't get it. And no amount of emotional stuff is going to do it. A lot of people think that the emotion that you feel when you maybe... I, I've not watched it. I don't advocate for it. And I'm not going to get into the second commandment here this morning. But the Passion of Christ came out about 20 years ago. And it was this huge deal because it was so emotional for so many people to watch Jim Caviezel get beat up with a whip and hung on a cross. And they mistake 
heart emotion watching not Jesus get crucified for knowledge. That's not knowledge. Jim Caviezel dying in a movie did not surpass the knowledge of all things. It's of no help. Because what we need is not an emotional drumming up. We need a knowledge that surpasses knowledge. Goes beyond what we could ever hope, think, or ask. An impossible thing has to be put into our minds. And the fruit of that, what this looks like, is in Romans Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor and who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Unattainable knowledge. It's inscrutable. It doesn't make sense. It's beyond our understanding. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Because of the moral degradation of the age and the fact that people are deciding they're boys and they're not, and the girls and they're not, and deciding to be cats and deciding to love boys and love girls. All this weirdness, we think that it's just common sense and they just need to figure out morality. Morality is grounded in the knowledge of God and cannot be attained without the knowledge of God. You cannot be morally clean without the knowledge of God. You cannot do it because the truth of God is found in Jesus Christ and without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, your morals are corrupt. And it doesn't matter if they mimic the church or not. They are corrupt. And so this impossibility, this prayer, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And related to this, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So we've dealt with some impossible things in prayer, and now the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Now, I've talked individually about all these things this morning that He may grant to you to be strengthened, the power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. But all of these are plural use. Okay? So if you want to read it like a hillbilly. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant y'all to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, in y'all's inner being, so that Christ may dwell in y'all's hearts through faith, that y'all, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that y'all may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think the final piece of this being filled with the fullness of God, all these things being answered, is that these are corporate prayers. We talked about this some in, in Sunday school this morning, the privacy of the Christian faith today. Um, there's lots of good things that happen in the private prayer closet of us. 
But there are many things that do not happen in the private prayer closet that can only happen in the gathering of the saints. And this is a corporate prayer. We together, the fullness of God. We together, the knowledge that surpasses knowledge. We together, be strengthened with all power and might to dwell in faith. We together, by the riches of God, will be made to do this. And the fullness of God is found in the body of Christ today. It was found in a single person 2,000 years ago, the fullness of God. It specifically says that, in Him the fullness of God dwelled. But now it is in the church which the fullness of God dwells. And without the church, the fullness of God does not glow with its glory. Which is why the point of evangelism is not to have individuals saved, but to have individuals saved into a body together, who together corporately with all the saints, meaning from Adam to the end, are the bride of Christ. These are impossible things, unbelievable things, bold things. And we need to go before our Father to ask these things. To ask that He would do them individually and corporately. That we would not be left without the power of the Spirit of God and the riches of His glory to answer these requests. That we cannot attain our own knowledge of Christ. You could spend however many years it would take you to read all the books in our church. It's about 2,000 books. You could read all of them. And without the Spirit, you would still be an idiot at understanding what actually is the love of God in Christ Jesus. You would be a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, a worthless noise. And so this is what we do, humbly, in fear and trembling, going to God boldly. These are our requests. This is Abraham going before God and saying, what about ten? This is us saying, will you fill us? Will you do this? Can we have this knowledge? Please give it to us. You are rich in glory and we are your children. Please help. This is the work of Christians. This is the work of the church. This is the work of all of us together. We have this before us. We have these prayers. And finally, the whole thing ends, Paul's prayer ends here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, which is the Spirit, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The final piece of the puzzle is we have going before God in fear and trembling as our Father asking humbly because of that these things which are impossible He is able to do far more than this. 
It's the reality that all these things are answered by God to His saints. These are prayers that He has given us promise to answer. And not just promise to answer in the the dull way that we pray, but far more abundantly than we could ever hope or ask. That the confidence to go is there. He can do and will do far more abundantly than you could hope or ask. This is our hope. We have absolute assurity that these requests will be answered by the Father of glory. This is, this is the gospel. This is how we attain the righteousness that comes with, through faith. And it's not of our own, but it is Christ Jesus alone. Why don't you stand with me this morning? We will pray, and then we will sing.